Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Villato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum. You haven't heard from us in a little bit. I was off in the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, St. Bart's, living my best life. But right now, Chris and I are back to talk about some recent Giants news, some interviews for the special teams coordinator and the defensive coordinator positions under head coach Brian Dable. And we're also going to go over just some offensive rookie report cards. Look, I'm not the biggest report card kind of guy. I don't think Chris is either, but it's good for content. And I think it's also a nice way to assess how these players performed in year one. And that's all this is. This is a year one performance grade, not something that we're going to look and prognosticate into the future. And I also released something on Big Blue. If you want to check it out, it was a rookie report card article about a week a week and a half ago you can go and check that out and the grades that i assigned they were relative to the draft selection how high they were so a seventh round pick may be worth or better from a grade standpoint than a second round pick let's just say if you can infer what i am suggesting right now that does not mean that i am higher on that seventh round player just want to make that clear but chris how you doing buddy i'm doing pretty good uh i would have to say you know, with pretty good with a side order of jealousy. You know, not not all of us got to escape winter and go to the Caribbean. But, of course, I also wasn't at the Dolphins game freezing various vital bits of my anatomy <laughs> off and having to go to the hospital. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. But I'll say this, though, Chris. You're in, what, South Carolina? Yeah. Don't come to New Jersey. That's all I got to say. It is miserable up in the Northeast. It's just snowy. It's icy. I can't believe I used to live in Arizona, and now I'm living back in the Northeast. <laughs> Terrible, but it's my reality. Yeah, the, I got to say, just personally, the weather is going through one hell of a swing here. It was, we had a wind chill of 10, I believe, yesterday, two days ago. Damn, that, that And sucks. it's going to be 70 with thunderstorms tomorrow, so... <laughs> I, I can tell you Harley would much prefer, you know, 20 with a wind chill at 10. <laughs> Good old Harley. Love our dogs. Love my Phoenix. All righty. Let's get into some of these giant news, these interviews, Chris. First, I want to talk about Mike Kafka, who did a second interview for the Seahawks head coaching spot. We know Mike Kafka has been a hot name around the National Football League since he was, what, the quarterback coach under Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now it's a bit of an awkward situation, what's going on with Mike Kafka and Brian Dable. Reports have come out that Brian Dable 
revoked Mike Kafka's play calling ability throughout the season. And if I'm Mike Kafka, I don't know if it's advantageous for me to stay with Brian Dable. If Brian Dable has the pension to do those types of things. If he can get a head coaching spot, obviously he's going to jump at that, but maybe even an offensive coordinator spot is something he might look to make a lateral movement if the Giants allow him to do it. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but I wouldn't necessarily rule that out. So let me get your quick opinion on that one point before we move on to some of the other topics. Yeah, I, I think if Kafka gets the opportunity to be a head coach, which right now the he's had two interviews or interviewed in two different places with the Tennessee Titans and the Seattle Seahawks, the Titans just hired the Bengals offensive coordinator for their head coaching job. I think that's a good hire for them, just tangentially. But yeah, with the Seattle Seahawks, that would, I think, be a great move for Kafka just for his career. He he'd have an established team he'd get a chance to land in a good spot a very stable position and theoretically at least Pete Carroll would still be there as at least a resource for him now what's going on behind the scenes with with the Giants there is a whole lot of smoke there I suspect there is some some brush fires in the uh in the Giants coaching staff and front office um I am not sure if Kafka would leave for a just a lateral move. Maybe if an AFC team called a team that the Giants don't play in 2024, the Giants might let him go interview. But I suspect that the Giants would kind of prefer to hold on to him because the fact that Kafka is still getting interviews after the Giants season in 2023, just how abysmal their offense was pretty much all year speaks to how highly Kafka is thought of around the NFL. Yeah, Just the kind of at times silk purse he was able to make out of the Sal's ear that was the Giants offense with the constant injuries the rotating quarterback class just all of it yeah that I suspect that there is more respect for him around the other NFL coaching staffs than maybe some Giants we'll just have to see what happens for the Giants I think keeping Kafka as long as the relationship with Brian Dayball can be patched up, smoothed over, worked on, you know, however you want to phrase it. I think that would be best for the Giants. But for Kafka himself, you know, obviously getting to sit in the big chair is the ideal move. I was speaking more on lateral movement. Obviously, he's going to sit in the big chair if the fit is right. That's something he's certainly going to accept. But let's discuss some of these interviews. And also, we just want to acknowledge, and this is somewhat older news now because I was away, the Giants did hire an offensive line coach and a running backs coach. Offensive line coach Carmen Brasillo from the Las Vegas Raiders, Joel Thomas, the running back coach for the New Orleans Saints. So some positions are being filled on the offense. Maybe it's just an odd coincidence, Chris, that they all happen to be bald. I don't know if Brian Dable is discriminating against individuals who have hair, but I don't know who these special teams coordinators and defensive coordinators, which one of those individuals happen to be bald, but it might maybe is more likely that they would get the hire (laughs) if they are. 
Well, just looking at the picture, I believe Carlos Polk is um, follically challenged, we'll say. Follically challenged, love it. Of the the, uh, candidates the Giants have interviewed so far, those being Larry Izzo of the, I believe it was the Seattle Seahawks, Matt Harper of the 49ers, and Michael Gobriel of the Jets, and of course, Carlos Polk. Interestingly, Michael Gobriel will be Mike Kafka's special teams coordinator at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, Kafka, as I would hope our listeners have heard, will be the head coach of the West team, which is interesting for a couple reasons. Not the least of which is it gets Kafka more exposure. It does give teams a chance to see how he would do as a head coach. And also, Jatavian Sanders, the tight end from Texas, will be under him. And he's one of the biggest names at the Shrine Bowl this year. And he is a player the Giants could use on their roster, but that's something we'll be going over in a future podcast. Yo. Right now, we've got to talk about some offensive rookies and also a few other interviews and potential interviews, one of which has both of our ears perked up. Yeah, and we'll get into him first. And this is the defensive coordinator interviews that have both Chris and I intrigued. And that's Denard Wilson, the Ravens defensive back coach. Now, he was interviewed. I think he was the first interview for the vacant defensive coordinator spot last season, not 2023, 2022. He was a defensive back coach for the Philadelphia Eagles and the passing games coordinator. The Eagles had one of the best passing defenses and pass rushes, to be fair, that we've seen in a recent defense. And a lot of people expected Denard Wilson to get the promotion, and I mean players on the Eagles defense, to replace Jonathan Gannon, who accepted the job as the Arizona Cardinals head coach. They thought Denard Wilson would be the defensive coordinator, but something happened between Nick Sirianni and Denard Wilson, and Denard Wilson took his talents to Baltimore and helped revitalize that defense. And the Ravens last year, they didn't have that great of a pass defense. This year, I believe they're number one or they are number two under Mike McDonald. But why this is so interesting is Denard Wilson, I think the Giants are very interested in him. And I would like this hire. It's hard to really nail down what his philosophy is because he has worked under Mike McDonald, Jonathan Gannon. He's worked under, I think, Greg Williams. So a lot of different styles, but he's a young coach who can relate to the players, a former player who uh, I believe was just a practice squad guy, but still very smart, young coach. But what's interesting is Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, may be a head coach. And I think the Baltimore Ravens may have a wink deal with Denard Wilson that if Mike McDonald leaves Baltimore, Denard Wilson will assume the role as a defensive coordinator. And if that is the case, why is he going to come to New York unless he really wants to just completely turn everything around? He probably has a good relationship with John Harbaugh, and he probably would like to stay with Baltimore. So we have to wait and see exactly where the dominoes fall with Mike McDonald and Baltimore. And maybe that's why this process of hiring a defense coordinator, which I hope is very thorough, and it seems like it's very thorough, is taking a little bit because Denar Wilson could be the number one option for the Giants. Yeah, that that's kind of where I come down as well. I think the Giants would love to get their hands on Denard Wilson. We don't know exactly what kind of defense he's going to call because he has been all over the place. He has played, or rather coached, in a variety of different systems. So... He's seen a bunch of different coaching staffs. He's seen a bunch of different 
personnel groups and just ways of calling defense in the NFL. But obviously, the last two he has been in, the 2022 Eagles and then the 2023 Ravens have been the two best defenses over the last in their respective years and he has seen how that works and this past year you know he was there as Mike McDonald as you put it revitalized the Ravens defense which structurally was still pretty similar to what Wink Martindale built there in how they use multiple fronts in how they use their DBs and their pressure packages. Obviously they don't blitz as much as Wink does. Almost nobody does, but Denard Wilson would have a good idea of how to use the personnel the Giants have in house and the way they could or should be used to maximize their skill sets. Now, of course that would, I think hinge on whether or not he has a promotion waiting for him to defensive coordinator in Baltimore, where if your boss just got hired as a head coach and you already know the players and the system and everything there, and you already know you have a very good offense to give your defense constant chances to rush the passer, to put up stats, to make game-changing plays, that is probably a better opportunity for your career than to go to a place where you know the offense is not great and you don't know a lot of the people and it's you do know that you would be going against the Philadelphia Eagles offense you would be going against the Dallas Cowboys offense so it's like if he has the opportunity to stay in Baltimore that is much more of a sure thing but I think the Giants just kind of have to wait and see what happens there. And in the meantime, they're interviewing a bunch of different guys. Jerome Henderson got his interview, the Giants DB's coach, Anthony Capnell, uh, Dolphins linebackers coach, Shane Bowen, the Titans former defensive coordinator, Derek Ansley, the Chargers interim defensive coordinator. So like the Giants are looking, but I think the fact that we haven't seen any second interviews to my knowledge or any real movement is because they're waiting on the Denard Wilson domino. I think that's a good way to to look at this, but I do appreciate how they are casting a wide net. They also requested Bobby Bobek, I believe is how you pronounce it, the Bills linebacker coach, for an interview for the defensive coordinator. Look, pick these guys' brains, see who you like, Brian Dable, see who you mesh with well, bring them into the building, and then hopefully we can have a good defense and a fun one to study on tape. But before we get to these rookies, I'm going to say let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors here at SB Nation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All righty, Chris. Do it. Does anybody call you Christopher? Uh, 
my grandmother did, and right now only my mother and when she is not happy with me. <laughs> oh, it's one of those things. Okay, yeah. Oh, no yeah. one really calls me Nicholas either, so we'll just it, go with Chris and Nick because that's the name third, of the show. It's those second and third syllables, uh, syllables in the name. Like you, oh, you only <laughs> hear those when it's not. It's not great. <laughs> It's it's usually followed with a four letter word by you, you know, like or off, <laughs> you know, like because that, yeah. you know you're in trouble. <laughs> exactly. All right, let's get into John Michael Schmitz again. This is the offensive rookies. John Michael Schmitz was a day one starter. We know how um, solid and consistent he was at the University of Minnesota. We were ecstatic when the New York Giants drafted him. I remain very high on John Michael Schmitz. I think consistency in about every area was his Achilles heel through his rookie season. To some degree, I don't know how much to blame. How much blame do I assign, Chris, to John Michael Schmitz when he was starting with all of these young guards next to him? He lost the starting left tackle on the first series on a freaking stupid field goal block. How much do you blame John Michael Schmitz, who was also Bobby Johnson's hand-picked individual? I don't think that removes anything uh, now that Bobby Johnson is not here anymore. I still think John Michael Schmitz is a potential building block. He needs to earn that, but a potential building block who flashed a ton of upside. And that's my main thing is his movement skills, climbing up to the second level. Those are all, those are all things that he displayed to us that make me be like, dude, I haven't seen a giant center move like that or work a double team and climb like that in a very long time. And I think, all we need now is just a little bit more experience and a little bit more consistency. And I hope he gets that with whoever the new offensive line coach is. But unfortunately, just judging off of the tape, I gave John Michael Schmitz a C. What yeah, are your thoughts on him? I think that's a fair grade for him. Like you said, he flashed upside. He flashed upside in really every area of his game. But like you said, he had a rotating cast of guards around him. He got injured a couple times. He finished the season injured. Yeah, that's going to disrupt a young player's development. And Bobby Johnson was fired basically because he didn't develop the Giants' young offensive lineman. And, you know, I do think we can include Evan Neal in this as well. But I'm like you. I am high on JMS. I think he is going to be a good center for the Giants and in the NFL. Yeah, there are people who are, think he's undersized. I don't think he's undersized for a center at all. I think there are bigger centers, but bigger doesn't necessarily mean better. Size is not a skill set. You know, you talk about uh, a center that moves like him, was able to cl work off double teams, climb to the second level. We haven't seen that since Weston Richburg. And I would say very specifically Richburg's second season because he had that wrist injury in his third season that obviously impacted his ability to engage with and shed blockers, particularly in the run game. Or sorry, defenders, particularly in the run game. And so much of that comes down to the center's intelligence, their football IQ, and their movement skills. You know, I remember vividly Richburg playing against Damon Harrison snacks. Everybody knows how great of a nose tackle he was in his prime and Richburg beat him, but he beat him with his movement skills. He beat him with his brain, knowing when to take half man leverage, when to just kind of torque him and seal off a running lane. 
And we saw flashes of JMS being able to do exactly that. I think as long as he can get some stability around him at the guard positions and at the coaching staff, he'll be fine. I love how you brought up the just how to attack the half man relationship and when to torque. Cause that is something that I think you saw on, on those big runs from Saquon Barkley from JMS. It didn't always just like, it wasn't like a glaringly beautiful block, which he had a couple of those in the new England game and the green Bay game, mostly at the second level, but his ability to, to just get a piece of say a three technique and then swivel his hips all the way to the outside of that three technique to the play side of an outside zone. He did that pretty damn well. So I remain high on John Michael Schmitz, but I wish I don't think his rookie season was as good as maybe we all would have hoped. But what do you expect on an offensive line that was just frankly abysmal? So let's move on to Jalen Hyatt, third round pick. We I look at Jalen Hyatt. Look, he had 23 catches on 40 targets for 373 scoreless yards. It's not great. He had, I think, four drops, third highest. And I, I would say that was just by PFF charting. I think there were more drops than just four. Uh, just going through like my, my head right now, he was I think third in drop percentage of wide receivers who played at least twenty percent of their of their team's snaps. So not great. I think the only ones who were worse were Alan Lazard and Jamison Williams. He had less than one yards per route run. You could say that's a quarterback and just an inconsistent offensive stat. And I would agree with that. But I think it's safe to say that the stats were modest. It's not all Hyatt's fault because the offense was abysmal and Hyatt's Hyatt's skill set is maximized with his vertical ability and his ability to stretch the defense. And the Giants had Daniel Jones as the starting quarterback. And frankly, Jones doesn't really attack deep all that often. And the offensive line also hindered Jones's ability to attack deep. So that kind of minimizes Jalen Hyatt's impact. So I ended up giving him a C plus. I think some of it is circumstantial. I think he needs to not have a 14.8% drop rate and he needs to do a little bit better, uh, a little bit better with securing those passes, but you still saw contested catches that he made. You still saw him work the sideline very well. You saw him lose no momentum on some of those double moves that Brian Dable likes to, to run on the outside, the acceleration, the explosiveness, the burst, all of those things collectively, you look at him. I think he topped out at 21.4 miles per hour. And you could say this is a building block moving forward as at least the floor of a, of a true deep threat with the ceiling of what a one B wide receiver. What would you say to that? And what were your opinions and grade on Jalen Hyatt? I, I would say that that's a fair assessment of his ceiling. You know, the, my assessment of Jalen Hyatt is kind of still what it was at Tennessee. Like, I do. I definitely believe in giving prospects three years or at least two and a half years, like a respectable uh, sample size before you pass judgment on them. And I, th I think we have seen enough from Jalen Hyatt to be optimistic for his future, but there are things he needs to improve on. You know, like you said, he needs to improve his drops or rather cut down on his drops, but he does have good ball skills. So I think that will come with time. And again, more consistency around him. Yeah. I, I would have loved to see Hyatt get more time with Tyrod Taylor earlier in the season because Tyrod 
not afraid to attack deep. And he throws a fantastic deep pass. Yeah, he has great timing. He has great touch and he has great precision in his placement of the deep ball. And I think by the time Tyrod was the giant starting quarterback, the second half of the first Philly game, I think Jalen had kind of hit a rookie wall. We, we saw defenses start to play the giants offense with more respect for their vertical passing game and with more sophistication because they saw what worked to basically take Tommy DeVito, who we'll talk about, out of the game. And I think Jalen also struggled with some of those same things, with more sophisticated coverage shells, with coverage rotations, and just, I think that kind of got in his head and then he just lost market share to that, to a much more experienced Darius Slayton. So I think with a full off season under his belt, we will see more of what we expected Hyatt to be this year. And I think his ceiling is kind of a skinnier version of DK Metcalf, just as that <laughs> deep threat burner who you might not want him on sharp breaking routes towards the middle of field or, you know, back towards the ball. But just as a guy who could take the top off a defense or catch, get the ball in space and leave everyone else in the dust. Hyatt's that guy. And he does kind of share that trait with DK Metcalf minus, uh, I don't know the anatomy chart physique. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. I did not expect a DK Metcalf, Jalen Hyatt comparison on this podcast, but I welcome it. And I see what you're saying just from the the sharp cutting standpoint. I think Jalen Hyatt has upside to make those sharp cuts. We haven't necessarily seen it. We saw Brian Dable. I can't remember which game this was, but it was one of the last few games of the season. Brian Dable was infuriated with Jalen Hyatt because the way he ran one route. And you're right, Darius Slayton kind of took the mantle once Tyron Taylor got back in after after Tommy DeVito flared out. So it's a, it's an interesting comparison, Chris, to say the least. One thing I want to say though, about the rookies, there's a big reason why there is a jump in typical second year players. And it's not just because they have that rookie season to reflect on. It's mainly because they have a whole off season now where they can focus and train on their craft with the team and without the team. Whereas as a rookie dude, your entire clock of training is is so sped up and it, it it's not natural for them because these these players go from college and then they're not training to play football from college to say the end of February. They're training to maximize their testing at the combine. And then once that's over, then they go to the draft and then they get drafted and then they're just completely raw. There's a big difference between training for functional strength in football and then training for testing strength at the combine. So hopefully we see some of these rookies that we're going over now that they don't have to train for some stupid combine event. Hopefully we see them really hone in and develop in their second season. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing we've talked about with Joe because, you know, back when he was getting out of college, he made a real attempt 
to get into the NFL as a long snapper. And he has told us both privately and on the air, the training for the combine for the draft process has almost nothing to do with training for football. 100%. Like just the, the amount of technique that goes into running the 40 to maximizing your time, or I should say minimizing your time in the 40 yard dash is completely different from maximizing your speed to the quarterback as an edge rusher or your speed down the field as a wide receiver. There is just completely different. It's a, it is just, like you said, it, accelerates the rookies clock for getting ready for football because they don't have January to recover. And then February, March, April to train with the team to go over what they need to improve on from the previous year. They're starting from scratch in May. So they're already behind in addition to having to get used to the NFL. It's funny to think, man, and it's true, man. Joe DeLeon, former co-host on this podcast, he went through that process. Now, imagine if he got through and we would be watching football on Sunday and we hear, oh, Joe DeLeon makes the tackle on on a punt because he had the long snap and he went down the field and actually made the play. (laughs) Yeah, how wild is that? Good for Joe. Good for Joe. Let's go on to Eric Grado, fifth round running back. Look, I don't know if there was a rookie in this class who was put into a position to fail more than Eric Gray was by the New York Giants because the Giants selected this kid. And at the time of the draft last year, we did not know what Saquon Barkley's future was. We had no idea. So the Giants select this kid out of Oklahoma. He also was at Tennessee before that in the fifth round. And then shortly after that, they come to a deal with Saquon Barkley. And now you have Eric Gray on the roster with a running back who's going to probably eat up 80% of the snaps and you have Matt Breida. So it's like, what the hell are we going to do with Eric Ray? He's just going to take a roster spot up. We can't put him on the practice squad. I got it. Let's put him as a punt returner. He did that in college. Well, not really. He returned two punts, I think, during the 2021 season, and he muffed both of them. Like, this is not a punt returner. And this is something that Joe Shane knew, and they worked on it. And this is one of the many calculated risks that this New York Giants team made that blew up in their face because we noticed early in the season that Eric Gray was not ready to be a punt returner in the NFL. So that was his lasting impact on the 2023 season was a couple muff punts. And then he just kind of toiled away on the depth chart, spent some time on the IR, came back off. And then I think he had like 17 carries during the season for 48 yards, a 2.8 yard per carry average with one fumble, caught six to seven passes for 22 yards. Like he didn't really do all that much, but I think he was put into a terrible position by this coaching staff. And I gave him a D plus because there was just, but I can be talked into at least Chris, maybe we should have gave him an incomplete because I don't know if he really got a fair shake. What's your assessment on that? Yeah, I would honestly say incomplete is probably the, best grade for him you know like you said he was not put in position to succeed and really he he was put in position to hurt the team and it's really tough to blame him for that it's you know unless he explicitly asked to be the punt returner and campaigned for it knowing he wasn't going to be good at it yeah, that that absolutely was a coaching and front office decision. And like you said, it was a calculated risk 
although I'm not sure how much calculation might have gone into it, but it definitely blew up. In it's, it's calculated. Place. It's calculated from the standpoint that the Giants had other players that could have made this roster spot, and they were just yes. like, look, we'll roll with this guy. Hopefully it works out. And they did that with so many things, man. Like Josh Azudu ended up being a swing tackle behind Andrew Thomas. Josh Azudu should have never been put in that position. No. But for whatever reason, they didn't keep Tyree Phillips. They sent him. He went to Statlin University, and he ends up coming back a better <laughs> football player. But there was just a lot of decisions that the Giants made, like Sterling Shepard being kept on them. That's I don't even know if a calculated risk. That was more of a locker room, and he could be like a coach player type of type of uh, type of um, roster spot. But man, like there were just so many decisions that were made by this front office that you look back in retrospect, and even during the time, you're like, uh, okay, let's see if it works out. And it doesn't appear like any of them actually did. Yeah, I, I don't think any of them did. Even the, you know, keeping Lawrence Cager as the only backup, doubling down on the Darren Waller skill set and having no actual tight ends other than Daniel Bellinger. Like that's, or all of the risks the Giants took with the safety position or the cornerback position or their edge positions. Like it's just, you're right. They, they took calculated risks all over the roster and pretty much each and every one blew up in their faces, which is why they had very, very little depth anywhere all season long. And yeah, Eric Gray was definitely a part of that. Now, even though the stats don't show it, I did think he had a couple nice runs towards the end of the year when oh, yeah. Saquon Barkley would come off the field and you know there were fans saying oh Barkley's tapping out he comes on he goes on and off whenever he feels like it which I have heard of absolutely no evidence for but is that really Gray, a, is that really something people say I I have seen people say that I don't believe it I think it's just I think that's just some copium uh I got. I was thinking today, copium kind of it. It hooks harder than heroin and is more mind bending than LSD. <laughs> but okay, yeah. <laughs> and copium. just for those of you who are not terminally online, like we kind of have to be, uh, copium is a fictional substance that people huff to deal with an unpleasant reality. <laughs> so <laughs> the combination of cope and opium. Yes, exactly. There's also hopium, which is similar. But anyway, <laughs> I will say, Gray, he does have good vision. He does have good contact balance. He does have good short area quickness. And when he was able to find a crease here or there that the Giants offensive line was able to open up, he was able to pick up some yardage. He did have a few nice runs. Now, the question I have is, did he have enough nice runs that he could be the guy or maybe a handcuff with Gary Brightwell or Ja'Shawn Corbin if both Saquon Barkley and Matt Breida are former Giants by the time the 2024 season rolls around? Now, I think... That's not a huge problem for the Giants because all things considered, running back is, it's a concern, but a relatively minor concern to compare to some of their other roster concerns. But that might be someplace else where they need to spend resources to shore it up if they don't think these young guys can carry the load. 
All right, let's move on to the last guy. Not a draft pick, but Tommy, the passing Paisano DeVito. I gave him a B, and I think I should have gave him an A+. Because look, how many undrafted rookie quarterbacks really come in and then actually win half the games that your team collectively won in one season? Because that's what he did. He won three games. The Giants won 6-11 and 11 this season. So there's something to be said about that. And look, they, one of the reasons why I didn't give him an A-plus is because he held on to the football way too long. He took way too many sacks. He ended up getting benched halfway through the Week 16 game against the Philadelphia Eagles. But this individual, man, look, this is difficult to play in the NFL. He threw for over 1,000 yards, 6.2 yards per attempt, 64% completion rate, had eight touchdowns and three interceptions. And we all felt a little bit of insanity, a little bit of DeVito magic divine devito whatever you want to say about it it was a fun little time in a just absolutely abysmal season for the new york giants just the 2023 season we want to bury that we want to flip it to the next chapter and hopefully we can learn from the mistakes that this franchise made they've made a bunch of mistakes over the last decade but tommy devito was at least a fun little reprieve from that so I can easily be talked into an A, and uh, I think he will have a shot to make the roster. I don't know if it will ultimately happen, depending on what the Giants do. They're an awkward quarterback position right now with Daniel Jones getting paid as much as he's getting paid, and the Giants might add a rookie. They could add a veteran, whatever. But still, he's at least proved that he deserves to be in the conversation to make maybe a, a team's third quarterback spot, second quarterback spot, especially if he continues to develop. What were your thoughts on Tommy day? Yeah, I think he was a fun story. I think he's a fun quarterback to watch. Uh, basically as long as the opposing defense doesn't take him too seriously, because you kind of see the smoke come out of his ears when basically as soon as like the, New Orleans Saints started playing their real defense. They stopped playing like a preseason. Oh, we don't have to take this kid seriously. Defense. And yeah, you know, he was pretty slow processing. When his choices were throw or run, yes, he made that decision pretty quickly. And gotta give him credit. He is a tough SOB. Like he he had, I believe it was a 17, 17 and a half percent sack rate. So like almost one out of every five times he dropped back to pass, he was getting sacked. And quite a bit of that was because he would just hold on to the ball and hold on to the ball and then hold on to the ball for a little bit while longer. So that is to a certain extent on him. But we also did see the upside of being willing to take those shots down the field. And like you said, he threw for over a thousand yards. He had eight touchdowns. He didn't put the ball in harm's way, which played a huge role in the Giants winning those games because the defense was forcing turnovers like crazy. So the Giants were way up in the turnover ratio. You know, like they just got way more possessions than they probably would have or should have if DeVito wasn't so careful with the ball. The question is, can he be developed into a, into a dependable backup quarterback? Because he was, when he wasn't making those big plays, those fun throws, the tough runs, he was also pretty darn inefficient. He finished 39 out of 41 
among all quarterbacks with 200 or more snaps in the composite efficiency rating, which is expected points. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, basically the EPA, the expected points added and the CPOE, which is completion percentage above expected. So basically his completion percentage was not what it was expected to be based on bulk data NFL averages what the average quarterback would do in that point in that situation and he on average wasn't adding much chance that the Giants would score on a drop any given drive but he's a UDFA and you have to grade rookies on a curve it is not fair to grade Tommy DeVito on the same scale that you grade C.J. Stroud. Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud? Absolutely. And in those metrics, Stroud blows Young away. But for what he did and where he was selected and the situation he was put in, DeVito was great. The question is whether or not he can be good enough that the Giants can count on him going forward in case something bad happens because right now Tyrod Taylor is going to be a free agent. So Tommy DeVito is the backup quarterback. We'll have to see what happens with the position, you know, this year, next year going forwards. But I think the, the big question and how we feel about DeVito, you know, two, five years down the line is, can he build on this year or was he just, you know, a fun yeah, three or four games. And that's what we'll have to wait and see. But Chris, anything else before we get out of here? Nope. Just, you know, kind of looking forward to next time talking about the defense because that's going to have some other very interesting conversations around it. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Chris and Nick show here on Big Blue View Radio. Please, if you have not done so already, subscribe, like, comment on the podcast, and head on over to BigBlueView.com. Check out all of our beautiful written content. Thanks, everyone, and have a lovely day.